the book of Psalms, and tonight we will look at Psalm 36. And looking to Psalm 36, we find another occasion in which David is deeply disturbed by the sinful actions of evil men. Last week from Psalm 35, we carefully noted the violent raid that came upon David from his enemies and David's godly response to that raid. In the midst of his afflictions that were caused by other people, David made a deliberate choice to turn to the Lord for help, for guidance, for protection, and comfort. And turning the corner from Psalm 35 to Psalm 36, do you know what we find? We find David's dealing with the exact same struggles he was dealing with before. Here we have a new psalm with the same problems. Having been frustrated with the harmful words and the injurious deeds of others previously, David finds himself frustrated with the harmful words and evil deeds of others again. And listen, this is what we as believers meet with in this life. We live in the same world David lived in. We live in a world filled with people who hate God and hate God's people. The one day melts into another day and one week gives way into another week. We find ourselves facing the same problems over and over and over again. This is life. Solomon says there is nothing new under the sun. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. If the Bible and specifically David's writing in the Psalms teach us two primary truths, it teaches us first that life will always be filled with problems, difficulties, frustrations, worries, trials, and attacks from others. And David's writings, secondly, teach us that in the midst of such occurrences, God sees all, knows all, is able to work all for good, and remains unchanging in his nature. So this means that in the midst of the storms of life, we can find refuge in God. God is our refuge, a very present help in time of need. And this is precisely where we meet David again in the 36th Psalm. Here we find him meeting with the same problems of life, responding to his problems in the same exact way. Notice Psalm 36, beginning in verse 1. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed 
He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep, O Lord. Thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me. And let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. Dividing this psalm into two parts, I want you to notice the contrast that David makes between the sinfulness of men and the goodness of God. In the first half of the psalm, we find that David's eyes are fixed horizontally on the unholy character of men. And then in the second half of the psalm, we find that David's eyes are fixed vertically on the holy character of God. So in verses 1 through 4, David gives us a portrayal of man's wickedness. And then in verses 5 through 12... David gives us a portrayal of God's wonderfulness. And in the description of men, you'll notice that the Spirit of God, through David, provides a detailed account of man's total depravity. In verses 1 and 2, David notes that the eyes of the wicked are evil and proud. In the first half of verse 3, David notes that the mouths of the wicked are full of sin. In the second half of verse 3, David notes that the actions of the wicked are corrupt. And then in verse 4, David notes that the thoughts and attitudes of the wicked are continually set on that which is unholy. And if you're familiar with your Bibles, you know that what David says here in Psalm 36 is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3. If you want to turn there, you can, but I'll read it to you. Paul says, beginning in verse 10 of Romans chapter 3, as it is written, where? In the Old Testament scripture. As it is written by David under the inspiration of God. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then notice the mentioning of the body parts of men. Paul says, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not know, because there is no fear of God before their eyes. 
So here we have a similar detailed description regarding the natural sinful condition of men. Those who do not know the Lord are spiritually dead. The Bible says that they are walking according to the course of this world. They are living according to the prince of the power of the air. They are making decisions according to the vanity of their mind. The Bible says regarding the lost world, those who are outside of Christ, those who are still of their father the devil, their understanding is darkened. Their hearts are blind. Their thoughts are only evil continually. The truth is not in them. The things of the Spirit of God are foolishness to them. They are at enmity with God. Now, this theological truth is important for us to understand because until we recognize who man is in his sin, we will not recognize why he acts the way he acts. Sinful men act the way they do because they are sinful. Evil men do evil because they are evil. An evil root produces an evil tree, which produces evil fruit. Those who do not know God are children of the wicked one. And the works of the wicked one they will do unless God in His grace delivers them from Satan's bondage. And let me show you what I mean by placing this truth in the context of the psalm. Here is David being hunted as a lamb by lions. There are men hating him passionately without a cause. There are men who are devising his hurt. There are men spreading lies about his character. There are men rewarding him evil for good. And what evil thing has David done to deserve this? The answer is nothing. Now, this does not mean that he was sinless. This does not mean that he was perfect. But this hatred fueled by Saul only came about when David stepped out by faith to take down the champion of the Philistines. David started being hunted as a lamb by the lions through the jealousy of Saul. Because he heard that David had slain his ten thousands, but Saul only his thousands. So days and weeks and months have passed. And here is David asking him the question, why do men act as they are? Why are they saying what they are saying against me? It's easy to forget, especially when you're in the moment. What have I done to deserve this? Why are my circumstances as such? And what's the answer? And the answer is, David is reminding himself that evil men are acting according to their evil nature. That's why things are happening. So we take this truth and apply it to our world and our culture. Why are others doing what they are doing in our world, in our nation, and in our communities? Why are lies abounding on every side? 
Why is rebellion of every sort being celebrated among our culture? I mean, the heathen are raging. The people are imagining a vain thing. How is it that people can be so blind and so stupid to the basic truths of life? Have you ever asked yourself this question? What's the answer? The answer is here in this text. The answer is, in sin, they are blind. We live in a world with spiritually blind people. They profess that they see, but they're walking in darkness. We live in a world being ruled by self-centered tyrants who are professional liars. We live in a world in which the common man calls evil good and good evil. We live in a culture that largely thinks that Christ is a figment of man's imagination and Christianity is nothing but a fairy tale. That's just reality. Whether you like it or not, that's just plain Bible truth. The fool has said in his heart, no, God, no. Not going to believe in him, not going to submit to him. So as David looks about at the world and at his circumstances, what does he see? He sees evil men prevailing on every side. And this truth would naturally be a great discouragement to David, except that in verse 5, he lifts up his eyes from this world to heaven, setting his focus upon the goodness of God. Notice it again, verses 5 through 10. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the cloud. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep, O Lord. Thou preservest man and beast. And notice the repetition phrases of Lord and thy and thee and O Lord. Verse 7, how excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. And thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Oh, continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. You see what David did? David went from dwelling on the problems of life caused by evil men to dwelling on the perfections of God. Having noted the character of the wicked, he turns his attention to the character of the Creator, highlighting his mercy, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his judgment, his persevering grace, and his steadfast love. So in essence, David is saying, though men are sinful, I know that God is good. Though men are evil, I know God is righteous. Men may be merciless, but I know God is merciful. Men are unfaithful. God is faithful. Men are full of hate. God is full of love. Men will fail us. God never will. 
He takes the attention off of this world, off of his circumstances, and he purposely, intentionally sets it upon what he knows of God. And this then leads David to make two points of recognition. The first truth is that God can be trusted. The second truth is that only God can bring spiritual satisfaction in the midst of such troubles. Notice verses 7 and 8 again. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, because of this truth, because of who you are, because of this doctrine, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. In his presence is joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So David is saying, because God is merciful, because God is faithful, righteous, gracious, and full of love, he can be trusted. And in his light, even in the midst of darkness, God's people can find spiritual satisfaction. You see, and then it's this truth that leads David to pray in verses 10 through 12 that God would demonstrate his kindness to those who know him in sincerity. So knowing that God can be trusted and knowing that God alone can bring spiritual satisfaction in the midst of such evil, David prays that God's people might experience God's perfect peace in the midst of the storm that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. What we know of God will increase our faith. Our knowledge of God should lead to growing in our trust in him. We can't change the fact that evil men are evil. We can't change the fact sometimes that evil men are against us. But listen, we can choose to turn our hearts to the Lord and rest completely in our God as evil men are against us. We can choose that. So here we find a practical truth that we can implement in our lives even now as we come to God in collective prayer. As we come to the throne of God's grace in prayer tonight with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's vital that we remember to ask God in prayer that God would be gracious to His people in the midst of their troubles. Lord, keep them. Lord, may they sense Your love and Your care. Lord, comfort them by your Spirit. Bring the Word of God to their remembrance so that they might find satisfaction in you alone. You see, the focus of our prayers for others ought to be spiritual in nature, concentrating on their relationship with God. Instead of praying for instant relief and a trouble-free life, 
We need to pray that people's faith in the Lord will remain steadfast. So we pray, Lord, may their trust be in you. Help them not to lean on their own understanding. Help them not to be wise in their own eyes. Guard them from being vengeful. Guard them from pride in the midst of their problems, in the midst of the attacks, because God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Lord, remind them that everything works together for good. You see, this is where our prayers grow deeper. It's going beyond just praying for somebody's hangnail, praying that someone would just quickly escape the jails of the hospital that they're in. It's praying for their soul. It's praying for their faith. It's praying that they might know Christ and the power of His resurrection. That's what David's praying. And this is the most important prayer one can pray in the midst of problems, that we would be Christ-like. And this is how we ought to pray for ourselves. We ought to pray that God would draw us closer to Himself, conforming us to the image of Christ. So what do we find in David? New psalm, same problems, same reaction. And he has the same reaction because he has the same God who has not changed. Do you see that? So here we are tonight in a new day, a new week, a new month with new challenges. In case you haven't recognized yet, the problems of the world haven't changed. So my question to you then is, how are you responding to them? Are you trusting in the God who is unchanging? Are you seeking to know Him? Let not the wise man Glory in his wisdom, the rich man, glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth, glorieth in this, that he understands and knows me. For in these things I delight.